0: to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. It's my pleasure to be here with you again for another episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast. On this episode, I'll be sharing a little bit of what's on my mind, inflation, and several other topics. So sit back, relax, and I'll be right back with you. Welcome to another episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to be here with you again to share uh, Real Talk. I hope that you had a great week since the last time that we uh, interacted. And it is uh, Wednesday, June 22nd, about 10.35 p.m. Um, it's been a good week for me here at 247 Real Talk Podcast. I spent a lot of time engaging others in, in the gun control conversation that, uh, you know, seems to be one of those heated conversations or not so much heated, but detailed conversations. But, um, I'm not going to start this episode off with that. I'm going to, I will say thank you to all of those who reached out to me and, and held, Debates on that topic, some went on for days And maybe to the end of this episode I'll share a few of the um, Statements or questions by Some of those I interacted with and my responses But we also have a lot of more pressing things to deal with in society today And I want to touch on a few of them as uh, We go into this episode Yesterday in New York City the Rent Guidelines Board voted for an increase in uh, rent for stabilized apartments. I think there are about 1 million stabilized apartments. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I think they gave 3.5% increase for one-year leases and 5% increase for two-year leases. And if I'm wrong, someone can correct me on that. And as I thought about it, because, you know, people on both sides were sort of... uh, arguing about this, and i don't think they listen to anyone but you know but the board members themselves but i I kind of get it for both sets of people you know cost of living is through the roof inflation across this country is 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 I, I don't even know have an adjective to describe it and the bills have gone up, gas bills have gone up light bills have gone up you know the 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 electricity companies think they have um carte blanche in, in what they charge, because I don't know if you ever looked at your electricity bill in detail, but it seems like when you get a bill, 50% of the bill is actual electric electricity charges, and the other 50% of your bill is just fees, one fee after the other. And so it is tough for landlords that have buildings, especially those that You know, there are still some landlords out there that have buildings where heat's included. You have some utilities are included. And so the cost for them to maintain the buildings has gone up. Um, But I still know also that in the good times, when everything was cool, you know, landlords were making a ton of money, taking advantage of a lot of tenants. Um, Before I bought my home, I dealt with, and I'll tell you this story, I'll share it with you because I may have to get into detail and really put it out there if this continues, but I'll I'll leave out the name of the landlord for a moment, but I had a landlord that I I lived in a gated community for about 26 years. And um, when when I finally decided to move out after having a fantastic relationship with the landlord. About six months or maybe four four or six months later, they sent me a bill for almost $3,000. So where I lived, the landlord was responsible for providing a paint job every three years. When I first moved into that apartment, um, it was supposed to be a deluxe apartment. And I found out, Probably a year and a half into the into living there, that I you know that they they really um, pulled the wool over my eyes to a certain extent. They, um, for instance, I saw the bathtub start to peel. That didn't make sense because bathtubs, a new bathtub in the deluxe apartment, shouldn't peel, right? Well, it turned out that they resurfaced the apartment, the uh, bathtub, without telling me. I didn't. It was a pretty darn good job. I couldn't tell. I'd never seen one before. But, you know, they willingly um, resurfaced it, I think, twice while I lived in that specific apartment. But it's, it's on them to do it. Whenever it would start peeling, I would call them and they would, you know, without hesitation, they would come in on their dime because it's their place and it's their, they're the ones who gave me resurfaced tub and they would um, resurface it. Having someone come in to paint an apartment when you have kids and stuff, because, you know, um, when I initially moved into that apartment, I didn't have kids. And so over the years when I had kids and one kid and then the second kid, you know, kids have toys and stuff like that, I just was really diligent in keeping the walls clean. The walls were white. And the only rule that existed was that I was responsible for painting the walls if I changed the color. Otherwise, every three years, at their expense, they would, they would, I could schedule and they would come in and have the apartment painted. But I kept them relatively clean, so I never utilized that feature. Now, when I say 26 years, I lived there for 26 years, but in three different apartments. I, I upgraded whenever I could, but the relationship was the same. <clears throat> there was a, excuse me, when <clears throat> I have a slight cold. I think I mentioned that last time. Um... There was a rule that you had to have, I think, 85% of the floors covered in carpet for noise abatement um, for the tenant below you. So I would have wall-to-wall carpet in each of the three apartments I lived in over the 26 years. Each time I upgraded to the next apartment, no problem. I would move. I would leave the carpet there because it's wall to wall. They would pick it up or whatever when they're done. When I moved from the second to the last apartment, the one that I left finally when I when I bought my home, they charged me a hundred dollars because I I used to hang you know I'd have art on the walls and these things and there were you know screws would leave holes little holes. That I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they had to have someone patch before they and sand before they would repaint the apartment for the next tenant. So keep that in mind for a moment. Then appliances they provided about two years before I moved out of the <clears throat> the last apartment, the microwave went bad. So they came in, they took pictures of it, they checked it out, they determined that. There was nothing I did wrong. The microwave went bad. So they replaced it. While I was living there, I noticed the the tiles in the kitchen floor started to crack. They came and they looked at them and they said, the people who did the, the job, I guess they rushed to get me the apartment when I first moved in. It was not done properly. They would come in and they would replace all the tiles and redo it properly in the kitchen on their dime at their expense, because it wasn't done properly. At that time, they wanted to come and do it three days before Christmas. And the only space I would have had to to house my fridge and stove and all those things for about seven days was in my living room. And this was Christmas. I was not going to do that to my kids. So I told them to postpone it and it never happened. You know, again, it never got rescheduled. So I'm telling you all this because Here I am, I moved out, and I get this bill for almost $3,000, and it's an itemized bill. And on the bill they're charging me, they want to charge me $700 for paint because they had to repaint the apartment. Now, mind you, like I said, they owed me a paint job every three years. They never had to. They wanted to charge me. I forgot what the amount was to resurface the tub, the tub that they gave me that was a refurbished or resurfaced tub to begin with that they always had to fix on their dime, they wanted to charge me another amount of money to fix the tiles in the kitchen. So the bill came out. Um, oh, and they wanted to charge me for the carpet on the floor. They didn't have a problem with the carpet on the floor in the previous two apartments because I was staying with them and get, making their money. They never complained about it. They never said it was a violation. They wanted to charge me for a new microwave. <clears throat> that one, I have no idea what that was about. And I think the last charge was. They would charge me $75 because I put a second lock on the door because the, the only lock that was on the door was one that they had a key to. So now, mind you, because I was leaving permanently, because I had a few other tenants that, had, that I had you know, befriended over the years, and because I've he- I heard some of the horror stories that other tenants claimed to have gone through with them when they left, and I wasn't really sure, I requested both verbally and in writing for them to do a walkthrough with me prior to me leaving, so that we could determine the condition of the apartment and resolve any issues that would have resulted in any you know any actions or any problem once I left. They ignored the verbal request. They ignored the written request. They were communicating with me with other things, but they ignored the request. <clears throat> and this wasn't a separate requests like, you know, this was a request with, with several other things in an email and then it was an idea in their writing and they ignored it. And it feels like they were pay, playing the game because if they had come in and done the walkthrough with me and said, hey, the, it needs to be painted, I would have said, okay, come tomorrow and paint it on your dime. You owe me that, right? Oh, this tub needs resurfacing. Okay, please come in and resurface it. That's also your responsibility. All the tiles are your responsibility. Now, the only thing, um, if they had told me about the carpet, all of a sudden, which never happened before, I would have removed the carpet. And I did have friends of mine and myself, we, we went around the entire apartment. We, we took out any screws in the walls. We filled all the little pinholes and we sanded it smooth so the walls looked like they were ready for paint. I'm telling you this whole long story to tell you that you know, there's always two sides to these things, and there was a time when landlords are making a ton of money, when tenants were being bullied because this particular landlord I was dealing with, and hopefully I pray that it's over with somehow, but this same landlord has a team of lawyers. They intimidate you. I mean, I've had conversations with several people from the management office and several legal people. They try to bully you. They try to make you, you know, seem like they're offering or doing you a favor and offering you a settlement. And saying, "Okay, well, you know, we'll cut, we'll cut it, we'll cut off X amount of money, but you need to give us three hundred dollars a week and all this kind of nonsense." <clears throat> and each time, I would say to them, "But I would," and luckily for me too, I took pictures before I left. And, and and let me not forget this too. I had a I had a neighbor who was a really nice guy, and and I asked him to keep an eye after I left for a very good reason. What they do in, in, in the place that I lived is whenever a tenant moves out, they upgrade the apartment. I'm not just talking about painting. I'm talking about, you know, they they knock out the entire bathroom. they put in a new tub. They're putting, you know, different design sink. They change the the, the tiles on the floor to the large square tiles. They put granite countertops. They, I didn't have that, even though it was a deluxe. They they rip out all the kitchen cabinets and put in the latest and the greatest. So basically what they were trying to get from me and what they try to get from the tenants is money to help pay for their renovation. Because you can't try to charge me for money to fix something that you never fixed or never intended to fix. And on top of that, it would have been your dime because all the things that you were trying to charge me for are things that you were responsible for. So again, I'm saying all this because I understand that landlords have struggles. But you know, there's a lot of times when they're making a ton of money where the tenant pays the price. Here we have a situation where there was a pandemic. Here we have a situation where we're—I'm going to still say—coming out of a pandemic, you know. And the job market is not the same. People lost, and, and, and let me let me <clears throat> spend a moment on this. People, you know, that you hear these these things published, or you read these things published in the news. You hear them in the news about how many jobs there are out there now, but. When I've looked at the job market out there, there's still the same prejudices in the job market. There are a few jobs where that, that are really specialized where you can get top dollar. But general things like, you know, in management and engineering and those sorts of things, especially in the management levels, they're looking for the younger person that they can pay less money to do the job. They're not rewarding experience as they should be you're still dealing with a level of systemic racism that didn't go away because we started talking about it. And the fact of the matter is many households, because of the fact that we can't ignore that we lost a million, over a million people died in the United States from COVID. And I remember the times in New York, in New York City, where... We were losing eight, nine hundred people, almost a thousand people per day. Many people lost their breadwinners. Many people lost your members of their family. And because they lost members of their family, those incomes are gone. We have situations where. There's, there's a, the, you know, officials are trying to create the balance of getting people to go back to work so that the businesses that took an impact around the areas, you know, the, 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 the business areas can be, can be revived. But I, I do think that we have enough brilliant politicians, enough people that we hired. At least I'm hoping that they are, that they can come up with a different plan. Because number one, COVID showed a lot of us who worked remotely that there's more to life. We got a chance, We got, and, and the more to life I'm talking about is not that we don't need a job or we need to be home, but there's the work-life balance is important. For many years, many of us were working without a work-life balance because that's all we knew. We never even considered the fact that we could have a remote job where we could be there for our children more. We could be a bigger part of raising our own kids rather than having the school and the aftercare raise our kids because they spend more time each, each during the week than we do. It was an opportunity to do the right thing as a parent, to do the right thing for our homes, to do the right thing for our families, and still provide the best service for our employers. And understand something, this is a proven fact that when we were home, we spent more time at work because we could get up in the morning, go straight in front of our computers, and if you worked eight to four, when four o'clock came, you didn't have to stop working. You didn't really care because you were home. And so, you know, it, 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 is, it is a work-life balance that, that I think are the officials and the powers that be should, should work hard to, to preserve because, you know, a, a happy employee, a healthier employee, it's, even health is very important to it. It's a, a very important factor. A lot of us are stressed out, take, you know, taking the train, spending three hours a day just traveling. It is difficult Especially if you have young kids. And now we have people we've gone back to work. Think about it for a second. You might have had a person who's gone through all the other battles, the systemic racism, has gone to school, has done their best, can't get the job that, that either their degree is not worth, the paper is printed on, or they have the expertise, but they're running up against the thing that many of us minorities run up against, that is, you know, we go apply for job after job, we have a great interview, and then we get an email or a letter saying, thank you so much, you were an amazing candidate, but we've decided to go with another candidate. It's happened to me. And I have, I have, I am, I, I, without going into details, I am seriously qualified. And then you, if you get the opportunity, sometimes you get to see who they hire through through chance or something. And you're like, wait a minute, what happened here? I've even seen a situation where they hire someone over you and then they fire that person because the person is no good. But the fact of the matter is, or let's, let me change that. I don't want to be so... Vicious with my words. Let's say the person didn't work out. The person was not necessarily of the same level of experience and, and didn't have what you offer, but they they went with that person for, you know, either they didn't look like me or they weren't my age. There's a lot of different discriminatory things that we have to deal with, especially as you get older. So you think about the household where you have a single mom, a couple of kids, and she went to school at night. She got qualified. She came out with all the energy and all the, and all the, all the greatness in her, in her heart to, to, to be the best she could be. And then she's running up against a system that's plagued with prejudice and all other uh, challenges that they are. And so she got a job, but nothing near what she should be earning. So she can't afford to have her kids. She can't afford to pay as a single mom. After care, but she's lucky. She's lucky because she has a grandparent. She has a grandma and her grandma lives with her and grandma either lives with her or lives near her or whatever. Grandma agrees that she's going to pick up the kids. She's going to take them to school. She's going to feed them. She's going to do their homework with them to where mommy gets home. You know, when mommy leaves at home at five thirty in the morning to get to work for eight o'clock and leaves at work at four, someone has to work late till five and gets back home at eight o'clock or eight thirty at night. At least the kids are taken care of. They've been fed. They've done their homework. They're showered. And if she's lucky, she gets to see them to get a hug. If not, she has to go kiss them goodnight and they're asleep. And now we're in a situation where that same mother was working remotely, got to do all this type of bonding and have this presence with her kids, and she could see over two years the difference academically, and and could see and hear what the kids are learning in school. Because I know that I have, I try my best to be on top of my kids because they learn these things in school. That when you have these conversations with her, the the verbiage, you know, the language, the things that don't go on in my home, they know, and I have to set it straight. And you have to keep a tight rein in this world today, where kids go to school and their exposure to to, to vulgarity. There's this exposure to to weapons, you know, knives and guns—all these things that that infiltrate schools—you still have to teach your 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 child the right thing. And I I included guns in that because whether you're pro gun or anti gun, kids have nothing to do with that. But but getting back to my scenario, now you're calling this single mom back to work, and remember, she had a pre existing arrangement that was that was working, even though. She didn't have the amount of time with her her children. She didn't get to be that much influence on them as she should. She managed to have a situation to be able to work and, 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 and take care of her kids on the salary she was making. Because we already established in this scenario that she cannot afford aftercare. But something changed now. Now when you're calling her back to work, her grandma died from COVID. Now she's got no one to keep her kids. Now you're telling her, you don't care. Unless the child is sick or something, you don't care. Or you know what? Go take family leave. Well, if if she's struggling to pay her rent with her full salary, how is taking family leave going to change? Is the landlord going to say, oh, well, you take family leave and I'll cut half off the rent? We talk about all these programs we have to help people. If you really look at them, they're all a mirage. They're part of the theatrics of politics. Because now you have this mother who's doing her best. Now her grandmother is no longer there. And there's a lot of grandmothers we lost during COVID. A lot of grandparents. A lot of the elderly. It's almost like a whole generation was wiped out, especially in New York City. And now you leave her, what option? Let's think about it for a second. You know those stories when something happens in a home and the police get called because someone notices something And when they do go to the home, they find out that a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, two children have the key to the house and they come home and they're there alone until mommy gets home. And something happened. Some neighbor may have noticed or something must have happened. And now they want to call child services. But you left that mother no choice. You made her choose between survival and her job. And her job is survival. So now you destroy the home even further because now you charge a mother with endangering the welfare of a child. These are real scenarios. I'm not making this stuff up. You know, we, we, we hire leaders. We, we elect leaders to be able to see the things that I'm telling you and beyond to be able to come up with situations and plans that fit the dynamics of the, the melting pot that is new, especially in New York. But this is the same around the country. We wonder why there's, there's sort of a brain drain still going on because other companies, private companies, are offering so many people remote jobs where, where, where geographic location is not, even, not an issue. Sometimes geographic location in the United States doesn't matter. Sometimes it doesn't matter geographically around the world where they are. And whoever can grab those jobs are grabbing them. People are reluctant to go back to work, not because they've become lazy, We've already proven, I've seen many of the scenarios, I've been a part of the scenarios where productivity has gone up. When from the time people went went re- when, when people went to remote work, productivity went down a little bit because that was a familiarization period. Then it when it shot up and it stayed up. Now you're telling people they have to come back. You don't know their scenarios. And because we have to be we have to have a policy that governs everyone the same, because you know we have to be fair. We don't, we, we, we don't care about so many victims that, that, that don't fit into those categories that you're now punishing their lives. So that mother is doing what she has to do. She has to go to work. She has to pay her bills. She's barely making it. Her grandmother is dead. She's got no one to take care of her kids. She can't afford aftercare. Don't let's get started on student loans that they're going to try to drop on top of her now even though year after year after year after year she struggles to find a better job and faces the same difficulties, the same racism, the same hardship, the same prejudices, the same unfairness that the system offers. They don't ever fix the system. They're always looking to fix us. We are, the people are the ones who make up the greatness of of this city the greatness of this country it is time to start putting the people first when you when you when you put the people second and third and you put all your politics and your power above the people this is what happens people are left to punish People are have to figure things out anywhere they can. I don't ever want to see my kids hungry. so if I have to go out and I have to work and the only option I have is to give them the key and say you know, go straight in the house don't 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 be too." Uh, conspicuous, so you know, just get in the house and close the door and remain quiet until Daddy gets home or Mommy comes home. That's what people have to do. And then let's add another layer to this. Many of the aftercare programs, the aftercare um, facilities, have closed and they haven't reopened. They haven't reopened because many of the individual people who ran these aftercare facilities basically went under during COVID. Because remember, the parents are working from home. The kids are homeschooling. Because, you know, they, they are, or they're at school, not homeschooling, but they're remotely attending classes. The parents are at home. So number one, you, you couldn't send your children to the daycare at the beginning because obviously COVID. But number two, you got to be... a you know, while you are working remote, depending on how you work, in between meetings or whatever, you got to pay real attention to what the children were doing and how they were responding to the teachers and interaction and all of that. Number three, you 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 were able to do something a little extra for your children because you were saving that daycare money. And number four, the people who were running the individual, the the, the sole proprietor. Daycare centers had to find a different line of work for themselves to survive to, to survive because now they're not getting that daycare money anymore, right? So they went and they found jobs, whatever they could find. If you you know maybe some of them went into healthcare because you know there's a lot there's a big need there you know uh, at whatever level maybe some of them had you know a lot of these people who run daycares have may have a medical background to some extent and were able to jump back into that arena. So now, the opportunity to even go find a daycare if you have the money is harder because there are less of them out there. It's never, I think I said this last last podcast, it's never yes or no or good and bad with a complex situation. And this whole fight to return to where we were is leaving a lot of people out there struggling. We, we have a pandemic. We had something that happened for the second time in a hundred years. It's not normal. We cannot therefore return to any normal. We have to find a new normal. And in that process of creating a new normal, we need to create something that benefits families. We need to look at what we learned during the pandemic, not only w- only what could happen, but look at all the positives of what parents were able to do. how you know maybe if we look at the statistics, maybe less children went into the system because their parents were around. they were less influenced by the by the by the, by the, by the uh, maybe there's kids in school who who have gangs or whatever the case may be i don't I don't know the specifics of that, but because they had the parents at home they did better they straightened out a bit they presented now they are presented now with the opportunity for a brighter future now don't get me wrong i do understand that there's a there's a flip side to that there are people who couldn't wait to get back to work for many reasons including the one again that we i think we didn't pay enough attention to and that is the abused abused women, abused men, abused children, whatever it was that were now stuck in that environment of abuse. But we're supposed to have systems to not only not only um, pay attention to that, but provide relief and alternatives for that. You know, being in, being in government and running a city, a state, or a country is no easy job. I know many people who go into it have these great ideas of what they're going to do, but I don't think they understand the complexity, especially in a place like New York. And we elect them because we feel that we ourselves can't come up with the, the solutions. So we're hoping that they do. There are a lot of things that need to be fixed about our society. And as I had my conversation with the whole gun control conversation with One particular friend of mine, the thing I kept reiterating and and reiterating and reiterating was we need to listen to each other. You can't really understand my issue if you don't listen to me. Not just hear me talking, but really listen to me. Really listen to the person who's telling you what they're experiencing at home and what they need to be safe. Really listen to the people who returning to work is a struggle because their lives have changed forever because they've lost a breadwinner. They're dealing with grief. They're dealing with the loss of an income. They're dealing with, you know, maybe uh, layered grief because maybe they're dealing with their grief and trying to deal with their children who are grieving. And going back to work is not necessarily a, Uh, the best thing for that family, when I say going back to work, not working, but going back to the building, it is a complex issue. But it's an issue that needs to be solved. A lot happened, or a lot is continuing to happen as we step out of COVID. In New York City especially, there is a level of violence that I don't understand. I applaud the mayor of New York City for the efforts he's making and trying to find solutions. But this is, I don't know, I don't even tell you, I don't even know what the solution is here because... I I got the Odyssey app and I use the Odyssey app to listen to ten ten wins and and the Odyssey app one of the things I like about it it gives you alerts all day of you know depending on what criteria you you ask it for and I see you know every day there's stabbings in the subway every day there's shootings okay and I'm not I I I I'm not gonna gonna I I told my friend that and I think I said it to you earlier when I started this episode that I was going to go back and, and, and um, respond and and give some answers to some of the questions of my gun control conversations. But I think I've, uh, I've decided during this, uh, as as I'm speaking to you not to do that because I don't want to deflect from the real point of what's going on in, in, in in this city and cities around the, the country. And, and, you know, it will really distract from the rest of the things I've told you about in this episode. So I'll leave that for another episode at this point. I feel that we need to deal with the quality of life issue and the struggles that people are having. I think that is the big, big issue here that we have to solve. I don't understand the violence. People are being stabbed randomly daily on, this, on the subway. People don't talk anymore. People can't resolve issues verbally anymore. You know, people are, children are, you know, we had a, earlier this year, we had two or three or four kids in front of their schools who were shot and killed. Some of them shot by, by kids their age or, you know, over revenge. When do you need revenge to kill someone at 14 years old? You don't even need that as an adult. Where are kids getting this from, or why they're feeling it's okay? We always ask the question, "Where are the parents in in this?" But I, as I've watched documentaries of 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 situations around this country alone, I've I've I've, I've begun to understand that you know I've stopped asking where the parents because I realize that a lot of these things become generational, and people have the values that are so twisted that I I. I I've almost given up in trying to understand that people believe, you know, a, a, a father will teach a son and the son will teach his son that if someone disrespects you and they do X, Y, Z, then you got to stand up. And it's no longer fighting with fists or fighting with words, but it's being superior by taking them out. It's by leave, sending a message. And that message usually results in death most of the time, not even of the person that they're after, but some innocent woman or child that's that's, that's walking down the street. Look at the amount of hit and runs that are going on in New York. And I'm only speaking about New York because I live here. When have people become so, so, so desensitized? When have people become so cruel that in, in numbers now, and I haven't checked the statistics, but I hear it in the news every other day, Hit and run, hit and run, hit and run. You drive in your car, you hit someone, the person flies up in the air and drives, that's a human being and you just drive off. Apart from the fact that we have cameras everywhere, so there's, it's just a matter of time until you're caught, what lives within your soul that you can do that to another human being? You know, and, and, and I, I promised I wouldn't, but I'm going to just touch on this for a second. That's one of the arguments that a lot of people who feel that they want the right to defend themselves you know, that's why they stand so strongly on, on being able to own and possess a gun. And that's why they're even um stronger asking for law-abiding citizens to be able to, once they pass all the litmus tests, to be able to carry a weapon concealed, because it nothing says that the, the attack, nothing says that the hatred of another human being will only occur at your home or in your home. It can happen on the street, it can happen anywhere, it's happening. People are dying for stupid reasons. Innocent people, little children are dying. And, 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 you know, you can't just jump up and say, oh, ban guns, because that does not solve the problem, because we have passed that corner. We have passed that road. We have passed that stoplight. We have to come up with solutions now that make sure that we even the playing field, not for, 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 for more violence, but for the for preservation of life, because the people who are hurting us, the people who are driving their cars and running us over and keep going, the people who are stabbing us randomly, the people who are pushing us onto the train platforms, the people who are shooting us on the trains and running off, don't care who even who we are it's one thing when people have rivalries and, and, and while you still don't understand the violence you know that it's happening because there's a rivalry it's another thing where people are sitting on the train coming home from work with their eyes closed they're exhausted and someone walks up to them and, put a, and puts a bullet in their head or slashes their face or, you know they end up in the hospital they end up dead all they were doing was, was, was going back and forth to work to take care of their families or or they were a block away from home and they're crossing the street and they have to ride right away and a car Slams into them and and crushes them, and then maybe that car at the time is the only the only uh, vehicle and person around. And if it was an accident, then you get out the car and you run over to the person and you call an ambulance. And if you if you have the knowledge, you try CPR, you do something to preserve life. But that's not what's happening. People just hitting, you know, killing people and driving off. There, there was. Uh, I remember at least two or three cases this year where there, where babies were involved where you know people talked about seeing the stroller and the kid's sh- shoe on the ground and the child died and the mother died this, this has got to stop and I don't know how to stop it I don't know when you know how we became this cruel to each other how we became this uncaring about each other and when you look at it you realize that part of the issue is that, is, is that we're all fighting for a survival. And when people are fighting for a survival and distracted by things they shouldn't be, they're willing to do anything. And that's just part of it. That's not the whole, I mean, as I, as I mentioned to a friend earlier this week, criminals are criminals. If a, if a you know, if a, even if a law-abiding citizen hits someone with a car and drives off, Yes, it's wrong, but I almost guarantee you they did it out of fear. Fear that, oh, no, I did something. I wasn't paying attention. I'm going to go to jail. What's going to happen to my family? That kind of fear. It's still wrong. But when a criminal hits you and keeps on driving, they're doing it because they're a criminal. They couldn't care less what happened to you. Their Their only thought now is to get away from the police, hide the car, ditch it, whatever. When you, when, you, when you are forced to take the subway to go to work and someone walks up to you and puts a bullet in your back or slashes you with, for a knife while you mind your own business and the next thing you know, you wake up, if you do, in a hospital fighting for your life. I mean, we've got a, a situation here where we're going back to the days where we need like police officers on every train, almost every car. That should not be. We as a society of human beings should be able to be, be, be decent and respectful and kind enough to each other that we don't have to use the resources of the police department to get all these guys out in the street, you know, car after car. As a matter of fact, there was, uh, in New York City, there was uh, single patrols that were started, I think, two days ago in an effort to get more, uh, to, to, to better utilize the, you know, the foot patrols because of this, 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 this violence in the subways. And someone attacked the cop. Someone attacked the cop and tried to take away his gun because he was alone. Now, you tell me this, and I'm saying this because if I'm a police officer, I'm armed, I I have radio, whatever the case may be, but if I'm a figure of law enforcement, and I'm standing on a single patrol, and someone attacks me trying to take away my gun, what chance does the average human being have? No wonder we're being pushed on the subway and pushed on the tracks and slashed and knifed for no reason. If someone is bold enough to attack a police officer, a symbol of law enforcement, to get their gun for whatever reason, what chance do I have if I'm on the subway? I don't have the gun. I don't have the ready to call for help. I might have my cell phone and in many parts of the subway still you don't get a signal depending on which carrier you're with. Look, I don't I don't I know that you know I I this this podcast this episode is about what's on my mind and that's exactly what I'm sharing Many times people ask me so what should we do and sometimes they don't like my answer because I don't know the answer I know the problem exists and I can lay out the problem as it is my job is not the description of my job is not to find an answer to this although I don't mind being part of the answer but when 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 I'm when you're in a system that says well you know we don't want you to defend yourself you know we don't want you to even if legally we don't want you to have a firearm that's going to create chaos so you know when 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 the guy walks up on this on the train and he stabs you if you can if you're still breathing you should call 911. If you're not, hopefully someone else will do it for you. If you happen to have a job where you have to travel at three o'clock and four o'clock on a lonely train line, good luck. They'll find your body. I'm just saying this is not this is not conjecture. this is not me having a fantasy. This is real. Pick up the newspapers, go online and, and, and check breaking news, go and check the statistics, go and see what, who is really reporting what and what's happening each and every day in this city of ours, around this country of ours, Chicago, Detroit, all these places that are, that are seeing, even places that didn't see as much um, violence are seeing unprecedented violence. What has happened to us as human beings? It's almost as if even, it's probably unfair to even ask our officials to fix this problem because we are the problem. How did we get this way? What happened over that time that we were, uh, you know, how are, are cooped up in our homes that we became so violent? Something has got to give because, in the, you know, I, I'm scared for my children. My children grew up in my home where I teach them to be good people. Where, I, where I, I, I bar them from watching certain shows with violence. Where I take every effort and every moment I can to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Even when they, they manage to see something violent, they say, Daddy, why did that person shoot that person? Why? And, I, and, I, and I instill the right and wrong. And I battle the fact that they come home from school and I hear them say something on the weekend. Like, where did you get that from? Oh, Timmy in school says that. I said, oh, that's a bad word. Well, Timmy uses it all the time. Do you realize the battle the parents are facing as it is right now? The same element that is that has the generational behavior and and, and is being supported in, in, in other areas, in other lifestyles, you know, in terms of, of violence and 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 how you solve problems. My children are exposed to that. That's not how I am, that's not how I grew up, and that's not how I want them to be. To have to, to have my children grow to be good, productive. Uh, safe, uh, respectful members of society—they have to get that now while they're young. And I'm facing a battle every day because that's not what they're seeing when they leave the the, the the confines, the safe confines of my home. We need to wake up, people. We need to wake up. We need to decide that or understand that. We don't live in this, this, this city alone. We don't live in this, this country alone. We don't live on this planet alone. It is not okay anymore to just look, at, look after ours and turn our back on the bigger problem. Because when you turn your back on the bigger problem, there's going to come a day when you cannot look out for yours and yours will have to deal with the bigger problem. We can't be everywhere, every time, every moment, you know, in the presence of our children. We have parents who have to take these same subways every single day. We have parents who have to walk on the street. Our kids are growing up in a time that's way more violent than when we grew up. And I hate the fact, I hate, I, I it, 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 it pains me beyond anything I can describe every time I witness the scenario of a parent having to bury a child. A young, brilliant prospect of our future gunned down most times not even involved in the situation that caused them to have a take a bullet just standing outside after school chatting with other kids doing what normal kids have always done but they they decide to do it in what has become an abnormal world an abnormal environment there's so much more I can say about this but as you can tell, I'm almost at a dead end. Unless I can get hundreds and thousands and millions of voices to join the same chant, we must have change. Unless we can come together in those kind of numbers and start to change at home. Try to try to reverse course for some children who have gone astray. And when I say reverse code, let me spend a quick second to say it's not a situation where you can necessarily blame the kids or even the parents. I've spoken to you before about the the situation that turns households into into this, 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 this survival mode. People who are subjected to oppression still. People whose choices have been taken away. People who live in a society where society ignores their environment. They live in a certain neighborhood. They get horrible teachers. Their schools have no money. They're nothing as budgeted for them as it is in other areas. There's not a fair distribution. The brilliant teachers go to the different neighborhoods, not only, and you can't only blame them because some of them go to the other neighborhoods because they feel safer there. They don't feel safe in certain neighborhoods that are already oppressed and already present. A violent nature, right now. There's a lot of work to be done, but the first thing we need to do is stop turning a blind eye and saying those people, those people are us. And 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 those people, we as minorities or people who live in in in, in impoverished neighborhoods, didn't choose that life. No one gets up and says, "I have hundred thousand dollars to." to rent an apartment. I'm going to go in the worst part of the town where there's already violence in the in, in, in the building where there's no heat and no hot water and rats are running around because the rent is, is, is cheap and, and there's gunshots and there's, there's, there's body outlines and I'm going to live there. Nobody chooses that. But there is a definite systemic process that keeps those people exactly there. And when we do offer them programs to lift them out, we never look at the entire scenario to understand it. We do just enough to make it seem like we care, but we don't. And when I say nee, I'm, "we," I'm talking about the people who have the power and the money and the and the ability to use taxpayers' money to do the right thing for the people. I mean, we have a president who should understand this. Who 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 gets on, the, on on TV and talks about understanding the whole issue of poverty and systemic racism and, and the oppression of minorities who understands and knows that there's 46 million people. And yes, I'm going to get my plug, 46 million people who are going to crash in, in their lives if they have to turn around and pay those student loans because of all the different scenarios. And I'm sorry, I don't care, and I hate to say this, I'm not being uncaring, but I don't care about the people who are going to come and say, well, I paid mine, so you have to pay yours. Because times change, people evolve, situations change, life has changed. That's like coming and saying to someone now, you have to be a slave because, you know, your ancestors were slaves. If, if something has to be done to people who, who paid their student loans, like I said, you can give them a tax break for X amount of years. But when you look at scenarios around the world, you look at the amount of money our own government is spending printing and sending across this world to Ukraine and all these areas that have needs, billions of dollars. But tell me, an American citizen who is living here and struggling and trying to be a productive member of society, that you don't care about me, you can't forgive my student loans, and you don't care what happens to me the day you turn that switch back on. You don't realize the devastation that will happen in lives. We got people up there who, who, who. Who are, who are fighting or who are arguing or debating about our lives, but they don't have our problems. Maybe this, the, the government, one of the criteria to be in politics and to be in government should be that you have to be poor or you should have once been poor and oppressed and, and, and been a subject of, of prejudice and gone through scenarios. Maybe you should have to live among us. Just like how they want, like they say, police officers or people in certain jobs should start to live within their community. Maybe that's what should happen to our leaders in Washington. Because while they debate and count their millions, the reality of life, they are so far off from it that either they come from money and they have never lived our, our struggle, or they came from our struggle, and now they're living among people with money, they've turned their backs on our struggle. But the fact is, what we're experiencing, what makes this nation great, what can destroy it if it's not properly handled, if compassion and understanding are not part of our government, if our president can't stand up and through whatever, executive order, whatever, remove the burden of student loans from people who are who are living every day in fear. I, I spoke to someone last week who says his daughter's about to graduate from college and she has a job prospect, but it does it, it you know, she it, it it doesn't equate to the four hundred thousand dollars in student loans that she now has. Four hundred thousand dollars. You tell someone to pay that back in thirty years. If you have to start a little late. And you came out of college at thirty-five. You're talking about sixty-five years old before you can start life because of the oppression of this. And don't get me wrong, there you know some people will make it, but for the amount of people coming out of college every day, and the amount of, of 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 federal student loan debt that's being racked up for for schools that don't deserve it even, and for the amount of jobs that are available that offer incomes. That, that, that allow you to live with, with certain uh, basic allotments, so to speak, of, of rent and, and transportation and gas and light and all these things. They don't equal the amount of people who are coming out who are yearning to, be a better, to make the society better. As a result, you're guaranteeing failure. You're guaranteeing oppression. You're guaranteeing depression. You're guaranteeing struggle you're guaranteeing that many of us will never see the American dream. I hope you hear me. I hope that you, you, you help me by sharing my podcast. Again, this is not a monetary gain podcast. This is a podcast that I'm hoping that gets to ears, that makes people think, I don't care if they agree with me. I just want them to get the thinking. So maybe they will the people who have the, the power. And, and again, when I say the power, they're the, they have the power of the pen. We the people have the power to make them use that pen by standing together, united in what's right, by listening to each other and forming a united front, by being an, and becoming a part of the solution, not ignoring it because we feel our, the things in our lives are so important that we don't have time for others because what we help others accomplish will eventually help us. What I'm saying to you is truth. What I'm saying to you is real. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not always be done. It's been a pleasure to be here with you once again. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.